Hi, this is Nayetta. Hi, this is Tiffany. And welcome to The Help Show. Welcome back, guys, and thank you for tuning in for our second series, The Year of the Arts, sixth episode in June for Mental Health and Fatherhood, New Identity. This month, The Help Show addresses how fatherhood changes a man's identity and how men can benefit through artistic expression. Does it matter if a man knows who he is? Did you know, according to census.gov, there are 72.2 million fathers across the nation as of 2014. Two million single fathers in 2016 living with their children under 18, and 17% of single parents were men. 9% were raising three or more children younger than 18, and about 40% were divorced, 38% were never married, 16% were separated, and 6% were widowed. Also, did you know, according to Pew Research Center analysis, more than 25% of fathers with children aged 18 years or younger now live apart from their children. Nearly one third of such fathers report communicating with their children less than once a month. And 27% say they have not seen their children at all in the past year. Hey guys, this month's podcast is sponsored by Restore Right, Augustine Insurance, and Auckland Research Associates. So hello to June. It's summertime, girl. Yes, we are in Texas, and as of right now, it is 102 degrees for the high tomorrow. Oh my tomorrow. goodness! Yes. I oh, it, it gets the highest like 104. Uh, it, it's hot. This is Texas, oh my but uh, all over the country, you know. Thank you, global warming. It, it's, <laughs> it's real. It's warm. Um, I don't care what 45 says. I don't get me. Mm. Who you tell? <laughs> so this month we're talking about fatherhood and how it changed the identity of men, and we're comparing that to our last month's uh, episode with motherhood right. and changing the role of what a woman is and her keeping her identity. Whereas with men, right. they have to find a new identity when they come become a father. Right. Um, and I re- I really think that because. Especially if you're a, um, a, a first-time father, mm-hmm. and it, it just depends how you were um, you were brought up. You saw the you hear, you heard the statistics that um, Tiffany and I we gave that 27 percent say they have not seen their children in about in a year. That's a it's a huge percentage. That's a lot. When when men are absent from their children's life, it's, you know, from their little boys, their little girls' life. You know, from their child's life, you know, this is a part of identifying who they are. You know, in my opinion, this might be a little biased, but this is sometimes why our community and our society is the way that it is because we 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 don't have fathers and we don't and the you know young girls and young boys don't have those role models or those roles to kind of help identify with the growing process. And so I might be wrong with that. I might be. Well, I mean, she's seen my face, and I'm I'm just kind of processing what she's saying as far as. I don't like to give, you know, a blanket, but it, it definitely, the the role of a father and how men's identities are defined has changed, and it's kind of women's fault, thanks to feminism, yeah. but not like in a bad way. But, no, not in a bad feminism way. Feminism forced men to look at themselves, and there's right. been backlash, and we can talk, you know, and that's and, another and it's story. always, you know, it's <laughs> another interview. It is another, another episode, yeah, no. but just to kind of fast forward, um, the role of a father has changed as more than just a provider. Most definitely. And that's really the the main thing that we want to uh, explore in this in this month's episode is how something like art, something that 
can help a man identify who he is, who he's becoming. Right. Um, developing a new skill, developing a new eye. A way to connect with it. Most definitely. And just like women, you know, we, what we what we talked about last month, how women become creative after a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so even though men do not go through a pregnancy, they go through the changes with the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're um if if, if, they're, if, they're, present, if they're present if they're, if of they're, the woman's pregnancy. Right, they're present and you know, depending if they have a partnership with the right. mother or not, all those things play a role in how they embrace in child development. Yeah, their child yeah. and their their new identity as a dad. Yeah. So, Nayetta, I guess I know we talk about your dad all the time, uh, just personally, but um, I know June can sometimes be a tough month for you. Yes, it, you know what, guys? You know, I um, I was and I still am a, fa- a daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an amazing father. Those that know me personally, um, if you don't, if you hear me, I'm, I'm from Dallas, South Dallas. And so my, my father, our family, we own um, a store in which... Um, which which serves beer and wine and other different beverages and you know different foods while I'm sipping on my wine. But um, my father he played a huge role on who I am today. Mm-hmm. He played a role in as far as with my work ethic, mm-hmm. with my cooking, um, with my generosity, mm-hmm. with my kindness, um, just. Uh, uh, just me as a whole as far as you know I put on my I believe I put on my personal for my father's day you know my father always instilled in me do your best in whatever you do and never settle Mm -hmm. and I take this with me everywhere I go Mm -hmm. because if I've done my best and everything that I've done I have no regrets And so when someone is my friend, I give you the best of the friendship I can give you. When someone is my mate or my lover or whatever situation I make, I'm going to give you my best. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to give you my best. And so when things don't work out as a friendship, as a companion, I have no regrets because I've given you all that I I can give. Right. You don't have to carry around that weight because of what your dad, what your dad said as far as, right. you know, putting in that effort and, and really trying. And so that you can't say, well, what if or what if? There's no right. what ifs. So There's no what ifs because I've done a lot I could do. And I, and I especially do that, you know, with the help show. I, I, I love absolutely love the help show i i love tiffany i love the co-hosting with her and i how we share i, I just i love this whole it's, an, it's a great experience for me and she gives her all everyone just so you know as a as a background person that's come to the foreground i've seen, <laughs> seen this thing grow over the last year and a half and it's it's got a potential that we can't even imagine at this point and uh well i guess just to answer the question myself, my dad. I'm sorry. I'm just uh, like got into my own little glass of wine. I'm sorry. Like, let me let me stop being she, rude. So tell me, what kind of father do you, do, do you have, Tiffany? A very tall. One. <laughs> my dad is six four. My dad was six three. <laughs> yes. He. Uh, my friends tease me and say he looks a little bit like Ike Turner. Oh, oh, he's girl. not a violent person. He's oh, the most okay. peaceful man. Okay. I, I, I've never gotten spanked by him. Tiffany. All he had to do was look. Just oh. look, and I would just. <laughs> Those crying, because I was a daddy's girl too. Well, yeah. I am a daddy's girl. Um, my dad taught me about just being adventurous. He really let me embrace my wild side. I'm a, right. a self-identified ADHD person, mm-hmm. um, and so in summers when when you know my parents switched their custody after they separated when I was about three or four, mm-hmm. we would go you know road trips and just travel all the country, go to the country, mm-hmm. you know run in the woods and, and play in the water and. 
you know, I leave and just come back before the streetlights came on. And he just gave me a lot of freedom. That's good. And so that that's something I really appreciate about him. And our relationship now is, it's changed a lot. Um, it is definitely more of a, a friendship and more of just us helping each other since he's gotten older. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's funny. He's my sarcasm. I thought I got it from my mom, but my mom was. Um, no. She has a lot of that. Yeah. He <laughs> is she has a lot bad. of that. Like, and like just what I noticed, I'm like, dang, daddy. <laughs> Whew, kind of that's the wind out of you, is this? But he's, and he's a super uncle. So because we, my parents were separated, I didn't, you know, spend every day with him. But there were a lot of times in my life where I saw him every day. But mm -hmm. when I didn't, I mean, he has nine brothers and sisters. So he's an uncle. He was an okay. uncle before he was a dad. Okay. Yeah, he's the oldest son of my, my grandmother's children, but probably one of the last to have kids. Oh. And so, I mean, anyway, long story short, he, every, all of my cousins, like, love when my dad comes around. Because, again, we always had fun. He right. was always the one, like, all right, I'll go out and play. Y'all go do this, or you know I'm going to take y'all there. I think, I think most fathers in that era was like that, because my dad was a lot like that. Like, he was a prankster. Well. He played plenty of jokes. He was really funny. Um... He, he, I don't think about the sarcasm part, but he played plenty of jokes on us. Like, mm -hmm. it was a lot of jokes going on in the house. Right, it was just a, a certain type yeah, of man, though. It, <laughs> I was just I mean, like, come on. those very stern fathers that, um, My mother know, was a stern one. My yeah. mother was very stern. Like, she was the disciplinary. My father was the one that we he would. Was the fun. Yeah, like, if she would, she would discipline and spank us. I would like literally like crawl under my father. Like, like he was the one that covered. Like protect me, like dad. Why did you let her not spank? Why did you let her beat me? <laughs> you know how to do it, you know. Hey, Nayetta, you know. <laughs> I didn't. I did not. It was four of us. It was four of so us. Was always somebody to blame. Like, yeah. I just had a brother. And no, it was like brother. either Patty or or Jamie or Zachary. It was never, it was never April because April was always in the books reading books. She's a writer. Mm. She's upstairs reading horror romances, dripping in sweat, reading in the heat in in the summer heat while the rest of us throwing rocks and being kids. You know. <laughs> oh, bro. But um, back to you. T so, what values did your did your father instill in you? Well, uh, my dad is all about. Again, having experiences, he was a socializer. He liked to bring people together. Mm -hmm. um, like he was the That's one who so organized good. the camping, you know, making sure we all had everything, he, you know, um, just stillness. Hmm. He's, a, he's a peaceful man. Like, and I, I would forget that he liked talk because we were just, just being with his presence was all I needed. I didn't, I talked all the time with my mom, talking about his mom's head off. <laughs> ADHD kid. But when I was around him, I didn't feel like I needed to say a lot. You know, right. I, you know, anything I needed, he would give me. But just being with him was was all I needed. So sometimes relationships don't take, they don't have to take a lot of work. That's something I learned from my relationship with my dad. Like I didn't have to try to earn his love. I knew he loved me just, and he was very affectionate. I was, I remember his, his little song, Daddy's Tiffany. That was his, that was his song. Like he always sang to me, and that those little things. Those small little moments that we would have, right? Because I had to share with my brother. But my brother's a junior, so and he's the only boy. But I never felt like I had to compete for his attention, right? Um, or anything like that. So just, I don't know, values as far as just being still, being in yourself, um, showing people you care in the little ways and the big ways, and just trying new things and just being adventurous and and you know if things don't work out, you did you die. Basically. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, if whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. He said that without ever having really to, to say those words. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can see that. You know. Um, so I'll ask myself this question. 
What values do my You've already my, mentioned a lot of values. Well, hold on. Like, like laughter and joy. But what else has your dad? Thank you very much. Ah! You, I got you. Well, we can do these transitions. Because we just kind of riff here. You know. Um, I think... I know, not I think, um, the values that my father instilled in me about being a person of your word. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't say it in this, he said it with, with, with cussing words, but my father would say, if your word is, if your word is nothing, you are nothing, mm-hmm. pretty much. Okay. And so I always try my best, if I say I'm going to do something, I, try, I, I give it 110% mm-hmm. um, to do things. And so one of my pet peeves for my father's value is not being a person of your word. Mm-hmm. That drives me nuts that drives me if you're like if you say you're gonna call me mm-hmm. call me if you say we're gonna do something let's do something mm-hmm. because i actually move things around for people mm-hmm. because i, I i'm a, like i think i'm half jamaican i got like five jobs like seriously and so i'm for real and so that's like one of my the values that besides doing your best mm-hmm. being a person of your word I'm absolutely a person of my word. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. And and then I think another value um, my father um, instilled in me is that you are enough. Mm-hmm. You are enough, Nayara. Yeah. You know, um, I, I've, I've had so many great life lessons from my father, and I've been absolutely um, blessed to see what love looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been absolutely blessed to see what security looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been blessed to see what kindness and consideration. Like, I, I know how to identify those things. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, what does that look like? I know what it looks like. I know what family and, and love, I know what those things look like. Mm-hmm. You know, and so those all in one and coincide in the days in my father. He actually um, has instilled in me, and I just want to say thank you, Dad. Thank you, James. Um, so, Tiffany, how big of a role did your father play in your life? You- well, I mentioned it a little bit with just how I didn't want to disappoint him. But again, my parents separated when I was very young, and um, for maybe the first couple of years of separation, he lived in Austin. So I only mm-hmm. saw him summers. So I saw him like three months at a time, right. and he would come up every once in a while. And back then, I, I was very, very much attached. Me and my dad were inseparable. Cause he worked nights, my mom worked days. So right. he would, you know, when I wasn't in daycare with my cousin, like he was taking care of me. Um, and so when he when he had to leave, I remember our first one of the first times I remember him after he moved to Austin. He was going to Love Field and we were yeah. dropping him off, and my my uncle was dropping us off, you know, just to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And I just I had a full blown like bad tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in the airport was like, "Get that little girl." <laughs> And that was back then when you could go to the to the gate with someone. So yeah. I walked, you know, I'm dragging, crying to the gate. And he just called my mom. I was like, you know, Clara, like, she crying. I mean, it's summertime. <laughs> she not go, she not in school yet. She was, you know, I had to, I wasn't in kindergarten yet. So right. um, he's like, you know, I'll take her for a week. I'll promise I'll bring her back. I'll, my truck is, you know, I'll drive her back. And she's like, I guess. Just <laughs> bring her back in one piece. And so from that as a little girl to, to now where... I mean, adolescence was a little rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had not really a falling out, but when my brother went to college, it, it was like we took turns being the gatekeeper. Either I was the one that reached out to dad or my brother was. Right. And so during adolescence, when I kind of really needed him right. to be more present, he moved out of town again because he right. lived in Dallas and he moved to Austin. And so um, during that time, you know, it was kind of strange. But as I became a therapist 
and I started working through my issues and you know the disappointments right. I had I actually wrote my dad a letter when I was about 25 just kind of expressing everything how much he meant to me right you know and what I wanted from our relationship going forward and he literally read that letter and moved back oh wow I didn't want him to do that I just wanted to call him <laughs> But he's, but again, he's the kind of person that if he, if I say something, I know my words mean something to him. Right. Um, and so he's made, played a really big role in my life. He's just, that's my daddy. Like I, I love him to, to pieces and I just, um, I, I take every good thing and I really don't hold on to the, the stuff that wasn't perfect because right. it did help make me the woman I am. It did make me stronger. Right. It did make me be a discerning person of you know, discerning what somebody's will is versus what their situation is and not right. always judging when things don't work out the way I want them to, so. Okay. I like that good answer. <laughs> Very good answer. I feel like I'm on a family feud. Good, good, good answer. So what about your father's identity? Like, being that he was, a, you know, a business owner and like a jovial kind of man, a kind man, uh, what other words would you use to describe your father's identity? You know, I kind of said it from the beginning. Um, very loving, very kind, very understanding. The community loved my father. He was a big um, community type of guy. Um, um, I, I kind of, pretty much, I've described who who my father is to me and the role that he played. My my every being, my existence, my work ethic comes from my father. Mm -hmm. um, I have a, a, a little story I'll share with you about my my father and who, why he is who he is with his identity. Um, I remember he, him telling me and my sister April, when he was a little boy, um, my grandmother passed away because she had cancer. Mm -hmm. And then my father passed, so, so it was just him and his father. Mm -hmm. And so then my father, then his father passed away because he was trying to save someone from drowning mm -hmm. when he couldn't swim. I'm like, come on, Grandpa. Hey, that means he, you know. That's a hero. That's a hero. And so... Um, my father is actually from um, New Orleans, mm -hmm. and so I have family in New Orleans. Like, so I'm kind of. I love you. See how the accent came natural. Yeah, from New Orleans. <laughs> from New Orleans. And so, um, when his father passed away, no one wanted my father. Hmm. And that that day, in those days, they would they would just they would detach themselves from from their kids. It was easy back then. Mm -hmm. And so my, no one, so I think he, he had two of my aunts and then three, so it was five of them. Mm -hmm. And so I guess, you know, he would say they was too black. They, they weren't pretty, you know, the family, his side didn't want my father. Mm -hmm. And so my father moved to Arkansas, to the, to the Strickland side of the family. Mm -hmm. And so he had to raise his siblings. If you see right here in the corner, you see that's my father. That's my Uncle Joe, my dad, and, and... He's the baby of Tom. He's, he's next to the... He's in the middle. Okay. That's my dad. Okay, I see his face, yeah. Yeah. And so, when my father had children, he, he he's like, I never want my children to have to deal what I had to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm going to give my kids the love, an unimaginable love. Mm -hmm. And so... That's what he gave us. He gave us unimaginable love, mm -hmm. like cooking and cookouts and to get like family. My dad did not mess around with like, you know, and so that's why I am who I am. And that's why my father is who he was, because someone didn't want him, because someone rejected him and because that. and he took that. Mm -hmm. And he, it's like he really made lemons out of lemonade. 
And so that's a personal story mm -hmm. with my family. Um, what about you and your father's identity? Well, my dad is a, he's a jack of many trades. Uh, he's a, uh, upholsterer by trade like that's what he went to a vocational school for and it was funny like him and my my mother was a seamstress when she was younger and i'm just like why i could be a fashion designer why didn't y'all teach me how to sew <laughs> i promise you but you know why she said we tried you wouldn't sit your butt down with ADHD. so i was like thanks ADHD. so i'm just a fashion liker but he also drove trucks for a long time when i was a, a kid so mm -hmm. Um, just a hardworking man. He like he likes to work. He fix cars and yeah. he fix anything. Just kind of, but but upholstery like that. That he was gifted at that. Like okay. that's what he. I mean, he's done everything from boats to buses to cars. Okay. Uh, he'll do you know stitching, hand stitching things. Okay. So like, um, I really admired him being able to work with his hands and, and create things. Cause again, I have no talent like that. It's all brain. It's all. Brain. But he's a very smart man as well. Okay. So um, again, uncle, because <laughs> he was an uncle first before he was a, a dad. Um, again, funny guy, just quiet strength. But that's that's how I would describe my dad. But when you get to know him, he will talk your ear off. No, <laughs> well, he's in the family. He's funny. Yes, that's true. That's true. So we so we have to wrap this thing up because it's like we're going past. We, we can talk about our dads forever. Right. Yo, we are clearly daddy's girls. We are. We love our dads. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so how do you see, like, how do you think fathers are different from today? Um, I feel like this father. is a renaissance for fatherhood. You know, using mm -hmm. my big brother uh, as an example, he is an amazing dad. He's, yeah. a, uh, he's a single dad, but he has a great co-parenting relationship with his uh his son's father, his son's mother, mm -hmm. and I just him and a lot of a lot of his contemporaries, his friends that we grew up with, mm -hmm. they're 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 present. They they're at the uh, gender reveal. Yeah, they're, they're at the hospital taking the picture. They're doing the baby shower. Yeah, they're, they're getting their own <laughs> they, baby shower. They want to say they what get, they want to do. They get a man cave baby shower. Like, <laughs> and it's a beautiful thing to see because as a single woman, it gives me hope that I will find a partner that'll be an involved father. I won't have to you know drag him along because I'm not. Yeah, I don't think none of us want to. Yeah, I don't do want. That. Yeah, I don't want to. But I drag think fathers today, it. it's you get a, it's a mixed bag. You will still have the ones that are disconnected, but that's the generational issues, right? And like, they're not a lot of people have the inner strength that your dad had to turn that into an example of what not to do versus just right. following in right. the same uh, the same line. So, so yeah, I think we're we're in a good place society wise, especially uh, our our African American fathers. We didn't get any statistics on this, but I know. That there is a very high percentage of African American fathers that are actively involved in their Most children, um, children's life. Not to downplay any other uh, ethnic group, but because of the stereotypes, that's why it's an important thing to note. Right. Because the stereotype is that they're not present. Um, okay, so so our guest today, our first guest is going to be Vaughn Eaglin. He is a therapist, a future doctor of psychology. And an amazing man. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Today's podcast music is produced by Davian Abney Music. To get your very own custom beats, email him at DavianAbneyMusic at gmail.com. That is D-A-V-I-O-N-A-B-N-E-Y-M-U-S-I-C at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Help Show, all one word. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Music and Podbean. Please leave comments. We want to know what you think. This podcast is produced by Nyetta Reynolds, Tiffany Lindley, and Davian Abney. For more information, 
And to donate, please visit our website at thehelpshow.org. Thank you for listening, and please stay tuned. Hi, this is Nyetta with The Help Show, and I am with Vaughn Eaglin, our special guest today. Hey, what's going on? You know what, Vaughn? And you back. Okay, <laughs> listen here, guys. If you missed him, he was on, I believe, episode nine, Baby Got Back, Lover Lust. And when he did that episode, he defined what sex, love, and lust and explained the scientific emotions when you fall in love. So this brother right here is everything. <laughs> That's why I'm like, please, you're please. Talk, you're talking me up like I'm somebody. No, know. you are somebody. You're absolutely amazing. And we at The Help Show, we're so just, we're we're grateful that you have taken the time to interview with us again um, about um, a man's identity once he becomes a father. And I think that is so important that men don't lose their identity because, because sometimes women lose their identity with, yeah. when it comes to children. Uh -huh. And so I just want you guys to know if you missed him um, before, check out our Baby Got Back, Lover Lust. You can listen to his interview then. Um, now we're going to start with this interview. I'm super excited. I, I forgot to almost say the TTT. You call it the thank you, thank you, thank you at the Help Show. And so I'm super excited to start this interview. So, Vaughn, for those that don't know you, who you are, tell us about yourself and your upbringing, your career. Well, I grew up in Beaumont, Texas, which is a town close to Houston. And that is about, about 120,000 people. Beaumont is about 40% African American. And it is, there are a couple of things about that you need to know about Beaumont. One, it is um, usually one of the top 10 fattest cities in America. Uh, number explain it. Explain uh, well, it. we eat we eat really good down there. Okay. We like to eat, and so um, so uh, second thing is that it is um, one of the least educated metropolitan cities in America. Forbes magazine back in 2014 rated it as uh, the least educa educated metropolitan city, and it is usually one of the highest per capita murder rates in uh, Texas. Mm -hmm. And so, not the best place to grow up. Um, so I grew up in. Uh, what I would say, an athletic family. My uncle played in the NFL. My dad was an All-State athlete. However, I was a fat kid. So, <laughs> um, you know, that kid that gets selected last, if he doesn't make the shot on the court, you know, I had sideline first. So that was me. And uh, and so I didn't have the best athleticism growing up. Uh, consequently, I had a lot of body image issues, uh, a lot of insecurities, questioned myself, very, very self-conscious, I would say. Mm. Uh, my brother was an extreme athlete, though. He was like the fastest in the neighborhood, so on and so forth. <laughs> okay. And so uh, I became a better athlete when I got to high school and um, through that whole transition you know I was still defining who I was as a, as a young man mm -hmm. uh, who I am as a boy who I am you know what does it look like to uh, to go into adulthood really uh, I went off to junior college I played a little bit of junior college football I played a lot of sports growing up football basketball track okay. you know cross country powerlifting okay. uh, soccer tennis swim I tried just about everything okay. out there and so um so eventually I landed in football. That was probably my, my favorite sport. Um, and I was a starter on varsity, so on and so, so forth. So I could have played Division One as well, okay. uh, but I chose not to. So I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in business finance. Okay. Um, after that, I did a year toward my MBA. And then I kind of redefined who I was, um, what I wanted to do with my, my life and my career. Uh, so my career ambition changed. I really wanted to help people. And so I became a counselor. So okay. I received my master's in counseling, and I am currently working on my Ph.D. I've been ABD, which means all but my dissertation, for about three years now so cross your fingers i'm gonna finish this look, year look we're crossing these fingers toes and i'm gonna cross my eyes too. i appreciate that <laughs> well, i hope they don't get stuck yeah. <laughs> so, so okay 
<laughs> I don't, we're going to take a selfie at the end of the show. And y'all can see what she's looking like. Yeah, so. like. Oh, man. So, after you said, you know, you know, you said, I want to help people. Right. Okay. You did that. So, tell us about your practice and research because that all combines into one. So, you did business. Then you say, you know what? I right. want to help people. Right. And now... What uh, what defined you to tell you you know about the practicing and research that you so what kind of led did. me in a, what, what kind of led me into counseling was um, I worked in a residence hall um, okay and so I was a dorm dad pretty much for okay. uh, probably about eight or nine years at the University of North Texas and so I lived in a residence hall I met my wife in a residence hall okay. um, but it's a very people intensive uh, position so I'm training okay. staff on okay. emergency protocol everything from suicide attempts to mm. tornado evacuations how to deal with a, a drunk student or alcoholism so on and so forth huh. okay. um, so I've always found myself in helping positions eventually um, my wife helped me to one become more true be, be more authentic to who I was Okay. Because what I defined as masculinity was I need to have a lot of money. So I thought about mm. opening my own practice um, in okay. terms of like financial literacy or, you know, going and being on the stock market mm-hmm. because money is what defined me as a man right. at that time. So as I worked towards my uh, being more authentic to who I was, okay. I said, you know what? I don't want to manage somebody's portfolio all day. That's not who I am at the end of the right. day. So, um, so. After I did the counseling route, uh, my first job was uh, working at the Children's Advocacy Center of Denton County. So those were kids who were physically and sexually abused. Mm. Um, And so that exposed me to a lot. after that, I worked in private practice. I picked up uh, things like anger management. Okay. Um, I did a lot of work with like CPS clients. I did work with, I mean, clients who had addiction, clients who were grieving, clients who, you know, uh, some of that was a lot of low income clients. At this point in my career, um, so I tend to specialize with a lot of couples. I'm, I, it, I sound, it sounds bad when I say it like this, but uh, I kind of fancy myself as a couples expert. I do okay. a lot of couples counseling, a lot of couples workshops. Okay. Um, I do a radio show. Um, one Life Radio, they invite me on as a guest expert. I do a lot of couples talk on the on, on that radio show. Okay. And uh, I tend to also specialize with men's issues, masculinity and identity. Oh. I'm really good with adolescents, but I've seen just about everything across the board. Every now and then I even do play therapy with kids, too. Okay. So, um, But I tend to say, you know what, let's do masculinity, anger management, couples, and then adolescents. So that's, like the, major- that. that's the majority of my caseload. I, I really, you know, I really, really like that masculinity I, I think a lot of men they need that mm-hmm. um, I think that we that men go into um, identity issues right and I think before you become a father those identity issues have already occurred mm-hmm. and so with me talking about identity how do, how does male identity change during fatherhood because you spoke about you figuring out who you were right and then trying to identify who Vaughn was. And so that is a journey itself. So now you, you're adding on a journey with a child. Mm-hmm. And so how does identity change during fatherhood? What, what does that look like? How does, that, how does it change? Well, one, I, I, I want to be careful because I don't want to overgeneralize. For instance, let's say I'm married, therefore... Okay all marriages experience this. So I think it's a little bit, you know, overzealous or it's kind of dangerous really to overgeneralize any one person's experience to everybody's experience. Now, from research, what we know is this, is that whenever 
parent, whenever you become a parent, that is one of the most pivotal moments within any couple relationship. Right. Now, if the man is not really integrated into the relationship with the wife, especially because her paradigm now shifts. She's no longer just a wife, but she is now a mother. And because her paradigm is shifting, if the father is not uh, really attentive, is not, uh, they're not, uh, loving on each other, they don't have a really stable relationship, you'll see the split that happens. Right. Um, now, I'm African-American, and within, within the African-American uh, culture, uh, this dates all the way back to slavery, is that men are just, we just aren't in the home, you know, because we were separated, you know, you want the best um, Negro working in the field, so on and so forth. We were bred, so to speak, and so in the African-American community, you see families, you, you tend to see a matriarchal type family, so big mama or the, old, the older women in the family tend to be looked at right. as someone who's uh, the authority figure, so, mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of times, you have boys raising boys. Right. You have men not knowing what it looks like to actually be a man. Most definitely. Um, and so we're trying to to define ourselves um, based on what society has told us to define ourselves as. And so um, so to, to directly answer your question, how does it change when you become a father? Now, someone, for the typical person, um, whenever they become a father, I hear a lot of guys, and it, they, you know, we say this, is that, um, you know, father, I never knew I could love something like this. Mm. You know, that this is now a part of me. It's, it's a part of my legacy. It's who I am. Everybody's going to look at it different. Some guys, and I mean, we know that there are deadbeat dads out there. Um, right. But uh, for every guy, it's going to be different. But ideally, you would want someone who loves the child, right. and because of their love for the child, they're going to make the changes and the sacrifices necessary in order to raise that child into a responsible adult right but you know i I look at it like this too doesn't it start within loving yourself Mm -hmm. because how can you you either love yourself Mm -hmm. you love your mate and then your child is a part of that joy Mm -hmm. you you know or am am i speaking am i looking pat looking too far into that because Mm -hmm. you like you're not loving yourself but you can absolutely love a child Mm -hmm. that seems very that doesn't seem balanced well when you say loving yourself, a lot of people, sometimes they don't know what it looks like to actually love themselves because hmm. uh, they have a voice inside of their head, as their, their critical self, okay. who is extremely condemning. Um, they exercise a lot of self-criticism, self-degradation. They're, they're pulling themselves down. Um, but a lot of times that comes from uh, the stereotypes that they get in society. I like to say that most men uh, usually receive three messages whenever it comes to being a male or being a, a man. The okay. first thing is athleticism. So whoever is the athlete gets usually moved to the front of the class or the most popular in high school. Right. It's usually much more pronounced whenever you're younger. Okay. Um, they may not even have to study in order to pass the grade or even go to college. Huh. And so athleticism is typically one of the things that men prize as this is what being a man is. The second thing is usually economic success. Right. And so whoever has the most toys at the end of the day is more of a man. That's why, guys, we size each other up a lot yeah. of times. You know, um, I've seen you at the gym every now and then. And so <laughs> whenever I walk in the gym, you know, whether you know it or not, every guy sizing another guy up. And so, women do it too now. I don't, you know what I mean? Because we want to see who's the alpha male in the room. You know, yeah, you have bigger true. muscles, you know, like if I'm, be- sometimes if I'm on the bench and I'm benching and a guy who's obviously smaller than me. <laughs> Can bench more yeah, than you? Yeah, you know what I mean? And then he gets up there and he's trying to do the same weight. I'm just like, brother, just do you, man. Like, don't, <laughs> don't, 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 me, don't, do don't, me. just like, just be, you know, be okay with you. But anyways, though, because guys were always kind of looking at, um, you know, we size each other up. That's why whenever we meet each other, we said, hey, man, what do you do? Because at that point, I'm hmm. trying to figure out, like, where do you fit in the echelon, the social echelon, the economic echelon, in, in my side of my mind. Right. Um, the third thing we usually define ourselves as is uh, is with a sexual conquest. Right. Um, and I can go into detail about this. We talked about this on the other show. Feel free to go back and 
listen about it. You know, we talked about the difference between impersonal sex and then personal sex Most and, how, and how that's uh, the society has kind of changed. But a lot of times, guys, we define ourselves based on, again, athleticism, economic success, and then sexual conquest. Now, here's the thing is that um, we ex if we if a man externalizes his self-worth, what I mean by that is the thing outside of myself, that's the thing that's defining me. <laughs> However, that thing may be a moving target. Right. If that makes sense. So I'm trying to figure out what I need to be like, but I'm not sure what that looks like because it's always moving around. So right. it's like, uh, so, so sometimes you get these guys and we're confused okay. uh, of what it looks like and what it means to actually be a man. Right. Um, and so we experience, and guys in general, whenever we have uh, feelings, we express depression. It's going to look a little bit differently. Hmm. Guys, we deal with with our feelings in a closet. A lot of times, I like to say we go into our man cave. Um, and there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says what I did is wrong. Shame says who I am is wrong. And men, in general, we deal with shame. It is extremely pervasive within pervasive within um, our culture. Um, you look like you're about to say something. You no, no, this is, so, this, so, is, this is good. This is good over so, here. I'm so, just like... So, hmm. so a lot of times, we're dealing with shame. So I'm not who I should be. You know, so you have guys thinking I should be somebody else. Um, and so a lot of times we end up uh, feeling hurt, sad, disappointed. But anytime we get depressed, when a guy is sad and depressed, we externalize our depression. And okay. so a guy's going to look irritable. He's going to be angry. You yeah. may see him turn to the bottle. You may see him stuff his emotions. You may see him engage in workaholism. You may see him in engage in sexual promiscuity. But mm -hmm. the whole time, he's feeling depressed. Hmm. And so, um, so that's one thing, you know, you know, I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but well, I'm, you know, I'm enjoying you know. it because this is so much great information. Yeah, and so. so with, with all of these, with, with this identifying a man, let's go back to his upbringing with his father. Right. Okay. And so how, what, I mean, how can I say this? Um, what stereotypes about men can keep them from embracing fatherhood? One, uh -huh. and then how does a man relationship with his own father impact his, impact his identity? That's the one that I'm really interested in. Like the relationship okay. with his father, how can that impact his identity, who he is? Okay, so that's that's a great question. So let me let me unpack that a little bit. So a lot of times, guys, what happens? You know, I said that we size each other up, but okay. we look for other men to validate us. Okay. So what happens is, is that whenever a guy meets another guy, you know, I ask, you know, hey, what do you do? Right. It's because I will posture myself almost like a peacock, like I'm showing who I am, kind of deal, or at least trying to show, you know, the best. Actually, let me say it like this: I posture myself mm -hmm. based on how the other male is posturing himself, because in the back of my mind, I'm kind of asking myself the whole time is does he think I'm a man hmm. so I may change my language I may try to make something look better than it needs to be Tony or voice. better than it actually is or whatever the case is yeah I'm gonna you know deepen my voice so I sound <laughs> nice and sultry or whatever you know what I mean hey man how you doing blah, blah, blah. Right. because you know I am trying to make it look like I am more masculine to this other guy huh. and so when we talk about fatherhood hmm. you know we tend to define ourselves by our closest male to us so for instance like I had a friend of mine he said you know what I've never known a man not to cheat on his wife all of my huh. uncles all of my you know my dad so on and so forth he, he said I've never known a man not to cheat on his wife okay. therefore because that was his example uh -huh. that was his paradigm mm. you know and you know sadly you know uh 
I knew that at one point he did cheat on his wife. Right. But again, he defined himself by the closest male to him. So if I grow up in the hood and, you know, and everybody who has money, you know, is selling drugs and they have women and they have the nice things that I want because I'm poor, then that's who I'm going to try to emulate, you know, versus if I grow up in another community with, as a professional community where people have jobs, professional jobs, you know, they have professional degrees. Okay. That's what I'm going to try to emulate. And so, um, so your environment plays a key role. Um, but fatherhood, I mean, men, a lot of times you have the ability to define who your son is going to be. For instance, um, let's say my son cries. Okay. Do I tell him, no, boys don't cry, toughen up, be a man. Or do I say, hey, you know, it's okay to have feelings. Right. And so at that point, I'm giving him a message of what it means to be a man and helping him uh, learn how to process emotions uh, on a level that sometimes other guys don't even get. Does that make sense? It's like you almost give him permission. Yes. You say, you know what, it's okay to cry. It doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't make you less of a boy. It's okay to express how you feel. Mm -hmm. And if you want to use it in this type of manner with tears, Mm -hmm. do so. Correct. And so... You got it. You got it. You're on this thing. (laughs) I get it. I get it. And so um, I'm going to veer onto what our our whole year is pretty much about the year of the arts. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to veer to that way because we're going to talk about how art can help people, uh, help men or people in general identify who they are. And so how can men find ways to support each other? Not that question. Hold on. Let me go back. How can men, how can mental health treatment and outlets like art support men in embracing their full identity? Well, um, I think it is important that everyone, not just men, okay. uh, have outlets to express themselves. Um, quite frequently, I have clients who come in and they feel pigeonholed within their current career. Like, I'm doing something, but I don't love it. I'm doing something, but I don't feel passion. I don't f- find meaning. There's no purpose in what I'm doing. Okay. And so I think the arts can be an outlet for that okay. um, because it helps some someone. And sometimes, you know, in some ways they can express things that they're not able to express um, um, verbally. Correct. So sometimes I even do art, what I call art activity therapy with clients okay. because men in general we don't have the vocabulary or the language to articulate all of our thoughts and feelings. Sometimes okay. we'll have a feeling, but I don't even know the word to put to it. You know, I feel sad or I feel depressed or I feel disappointed or I feel powerless or right. I feel confused or I feel betrayed or I feel like we don't know all these feeling words. So, you right. know, because I've been doing this they for a long time. They didn't even know they had all these feelings. Right. You know, all, <laughs> all I know is that, you know what I mean? I'm angry. Yeah, exactly. I'm angry because yeah. anger is socially acceptable for me to express, but right. I can't go up to my friend and say, man, I feel real sad right now, man. Can you, can you hold me? Can, can you, can you love with, on me right with the, exactly. with, Without yeah. being criticized. Without being criticized <laughs> or looking as uh, being feminine. Or, and, and then or weak. Yeah, or weak. Thank you. Yeah. Weak and to look weak or vulnerable. Yeah. Um, is a, you know, it's a it's social faux, faux pas. I don't know what you want to call it. it. It is not socially acceptable. And you see a lot of guys, what they exhibit is what I call hyper-masculinity too. Okay. So if someone's exhibiting hyper-masculinity, then anything that looks feminine is totally rejected. Mm. And so um, to get back to your question, I think the arts um, help people to explore who they are in a different way. Um, and uh, it's also, it can be a, it can be a coping mechanism. Uh, for some of the things that they may not be ex- be able to express or articulate verbally. Okay. So how can men find ways to support each other during the transition to fatherhood? Because women, we have all these different programs. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. We have sisterhood. Right. We have all these great things to help us um, support each other during this time because it really is true. It does take a village mm-hmm. to raise a child. Yeah. And so how can men 
you know, have the same type of support system? Uh, I think it takes a lot of intentionality. Um, I usually say that when, whenever a guy comes into counseling, mm -hmm. one of three things. One, um, some woman in his life has influenced him to come. So a mother, a sister, a daughter, a wife, you know, you need counseling, you need help. Right. Uh, the second thing is, or the second reason they may come to counseling is that they've had experience with it in the past. Let's say their dad was an alcoholic and they went to Al-Anon. Um, so they've had experience. They've seen what counseling can help you know, or what it can do to help them. The third thing is usually this is like the Hail Mary. It's a long bomb. The You know, everything's hit the fan. Okay. I don't have anywhere else to turn. Okay. I might as well go to counseling yeah. before I, you know, try to commit suicide or I do, do something stupid or right. very impulsive or and so guys a lot of times we don't seek the help that we need because again that looks like you're being weak it looks right. like you're being vulnerable so right. um, so it takes a degree of humility to one seek help but then it, it, you have to you have to also be intentional that you know you have to seek other guys who have had like experiences you right. know this guy's already had a child and now it needs to be someone who's at where you want to be right you know? Most so, definitely. because you can't get advice from everyone you know no. and so if you have a very uh chaotic and uh, unstable marriage that's not the person i need to be going to talk to about fatherhood you know that's or true if you got you know 10 baby mamas that may not be the person yeah. i need to go talk to about fatherhood so but if you, if you if you find someone in a stable marriage it could be someone at your church it could be someone on your job it could be someone um in your community and in, in other organizations right. but uh, seek that person out, be able to talk to them. And uh, a lot of times you'll find that people are wanting to help, but you haven't taken the time to actually reach out to right. try to seek that help. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so talk to other people, talk to other men. Men, a lot of men are willing to open. Some guys aren't, you know, and that's yeah. okay. You know, you just move on to the next yeah, person. Yeah, guy's not and for so, you, their friend is not for you. Exactly, you know. Um, and so, but I'm finding a lot of times guys are wanting to be emotionally vulnerable. Right. They're just trying to find a safe place to, to do that because, again, it's not acceptable amongst their own friends. So, um, so yeah. What I can say about that with any relationship, if it's a friendship, if it's a marriage, um, even if it's work, you always want to find someone equally yoked mm -hmm. with that because then they can understand your transition or what you're going through and you did make a, a, a great point when you you're, you're going to befriend someone or talk to someone that's in the same direction that you're in yeah. it's just like for prime example me being a woman if I want a relationship um, I'm not going to talk to my girlfriend that's single mm -hmm. and because <laughs> you're a single girl <laughs> well, I, again I'm a counselor so I'm always like it depends you know like if because they may have insight as to why they're single and they may choose to be single. So right. I, I don't want to just write everybody off. I mean, I'm not writing yeah. everybody, but I'm, yeah. I'm talking about the girls that like want to be married but not taking the proper uh, steps or out yeah. here at the club. Yeah. I'm not judging, yeah. but I'm, yeah, I'm uh, observing. You're judging a little bit. It's okay. I, no, yeah. I'm observing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay. But no, nah, nah, I get your point, though, in terms of like, you know, you want to talk to someone who's at where you want to be. Most definitely. And so, uh, like, if someone's in a, a relationship, a stable relationship, like, what did it, what did it take for you to get there? Yeah. Um, what kind of discipline did it take? What type of integrity did it take? What type Most of definitely. loyalty did it take? Yes. Like, how do you guys exhibit trust in your relationship? Right. You know, versus the person who, you know, you know, has been single for a long period of time. Right. And they always abdicate responsibility. It's always someone else's <laughs> fault that they're single. You know what I mean? It's, it's, never, their fault. Yeah, it's never my fault. <laughs> 
No accountability. At you know, all. No culpability. <laughs> That's not the person you want to talk to. At all. No, okay. no, no. So you're the common denominator in this, in this situation, whether you know it or not. But yeah, I don't want to, yeah. yeah. I'm not judging. <laughs> you're not judging. Okay. Yeah. So, so what do you think? Um, what do you think are ways men can help themselves? So, uh-huh. you know, we've, we've gone through identifying who you are, um, the issues, be around people that are like-minded like yourself. And so now, what do you think ways men can help themselves? You know, besides counseling, of course, um, drawing and painting, anything right. else you can think of? Well, I think men, we're kind of geared towards being in groups, whether you know it. I mean, this is even back in cave-in uh, eras, like from an anthropological perspective. Okay. We would, in a hunter-gatherer society, we hunt in groups. Guys, we like to do things together, and then we open up. You know, it's like, okay, we played basketball for three hours, and then all of a sudden, you know, then we got into a deep conversation about your relationship. Okay. A lot of times, guys, you know, it takes a certain degree of trust and, and safety before we open up. But I think the way you help yourself, kind of like what I said earlier, it does take some intentionality. Um, in fact, I got a call from a, a friend of mine um, last week. Actually, it was earlier this week. He said, Vaughn, I'm thinking about getting a men's group together, kind of like a think tank. I said, we can say it as a think tank. And I said, well, you know, it's going to end up being group counseling at the end of the day. <laughs> You know, where we're supporting each other and everything like that. And we'll come from different professions and all that kind of stuff like that. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if we if we establish something, even if we package it differently, right. eventually we're going to talk about something that's on our heart. And then somebody else is going to be able, be able to identify with it. And then uh, it's going to open the dialogue. And that's what we need. We need to be able to dialogue about things that are important yeah. to us, things that are on our heart, because we don't have the outlets to do that. But it does take intentionality. It might, you might have to seek a men's group out at the church or another religious organization. You may have to seek uh, out some kind of activity where you're involved with other guys, whether right. it could be a workout group. It could be CrossFit. I don't know. It's going to be you need to be a, uh, be intentional about seeking out uh, like-minded men because there are there every, all these guys are wanting to connect with each other, but they're all silently suffering. They they're don't suffering. know how exactly. to. They're suffering in silence. And um, that's one of the things I love about uh, you know, what I do is because whether you know it or not, what we know from research is that the man has, I don't want to say he has the most power in the home, but he has a lot of times has the biggest influence inside of the house. um, Most definitely. From how he treats his wife to how he treats his children, all of those skills are transferable. And even the children, even the children, whenever they're, we're talking about emotional regulation for children because guys, we give more freedom to the child to play. You know, the women are a little bit more protective. And what happens is we do more rough play. (laughs) Okay. And so when we're playing with the child roughly and then, you know, mom says, hey, come sit at the dinner table and eat. The child has to emotionally regulate themselves. They have to they have to they have to downgrade their they have to, you know, downregulate themselves, uh-huh. control themselves and then come at the dinner table and eat. So over time, it helps the child to emotionally regulate because the male plays with the child in a different way than the woman does. Most definitely. And so, I mean, men have a, a, have the ability to actually I'll just I'm going to say it like this. We have an opportunity to impact our homes in such a positive way in ways that we we don't even know or most men don't know so that's very powerful Mm -hmm. you know i think that people they they don't think about roles they try to make make it seem that roles are not important Mm -hmm. but roles are very important especially in a a household and and i and i think it helps women and even men gauge with who they are and what they're trying to be in life Mm -hmm. and so the presence of a man being in a home that's extremely important i can i can say this saying my father Mm -hmm. you know great role model you know 
what a man should do, how a man should be, compassionate. Like we were talking about um, these, um, the stereotypes that guys, that guys have, that women should be in the kitchen and men should be um, the bread take, the breadwinner. But that's not true because men truly can come from a very loving and a very compassionate place. Yeah. It just takes a certain individual or to kind of bring them out or a conversation to bring that to bring that out. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, cuz I'll go into a ramble myself. You know I will, I will. Um tell everybody how they can reach you. Um I we need we need your Facebook, we need your Instagram, <laughs> we need your Twitter, we need so, the spoke signal, so, we need yeah. the bird cow. Cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. You're we funny. need all we need all That's that so. information. Man, oh man. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, you know what? This is kind of weird. I, I actually Googled myself the other day. Get out of here. I did. I was just like, what pulls up? Like, if somebody's trying to reach me, and then they pulled up my Psychology Today page. I said, oh, okay, that's cool. You know? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so, I mean, you can Google me. That's uh, how I, I'm, that's I'm how at, I found you. I, yeah, so that is a Preston Place. So I have two different practices that I work out of here in the DFW area. Um, I'm primarily moving most of my uh, most of my clients to my North Dallas location, and that is www.prestonplacecounseling.com. That's a long email, and so I'm probably going to change it. So Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, and then place, and then counseling. Uh, dot com and um, so you can you can email me at Vaughn at PrestonPlaceCounseling dot uh, com or uh, you can reach me at two one four. Come on, Vaughn. Yeah, <laughs> Google phone number. I don't know lots of anyways. Give me one second. Give me one gotta, second. Oh man. <laughs> he came in. Come on, Vaughn. Or you can reach me at two one four. 865-8351 again 214-865-8351 and um, so yeah that's the easiest way to reach me do you have and, Instagram? Uh, yes I do so um, but it's, so it's uh, Vaughn and then underscore EA and then um, that's pretty much about it so, okay yeah. Facebook? Facebook you, it's my name Vaughn Eaglin uh, okay um, so, Twitter do you have any Twitter? do you do any Twitter? I don't do the tweet thing that much I, you know, I don't either. I'm some not, people do the tweet thing oh me I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a tweeter. Okay, know, so. okay, no, get your Twitter. Tweet, yeah. tweet, tweet, tweet. <laughs> no, that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not my thing. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Well, Vaughn, I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for taking, um, taking the time just to interview with The Help Show. It's always, well, I mean, when I always have a good time with you, I always have a great time talking with you. <laughs> Likewise. You're, you're so amazing. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for listening to The Help Show, and please stay tuned. Today's podcast music is produced by Davion Abney Music. To get your very own custom beats, email him at DavionAbneyMusic at gmail.com. That's D-A-V-I-O-N-A-B-N-E-Y-M-U-S-I-C at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Help Show. And remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave comments. We want to know what you think. This podcast is produced by Nayetta Reynolds, Tiffany Lindley, and Davion Abney. For more information and to donate, please visit our website at thehelpshow.org. Thank you for listening, and please stay tuned.